Okay, thanks. Well, look, it is great to be with you and really fantastic to be able to share with you from the scriptures this morning and uh, to have this chance to share with you. Let me read to you, first of all, a couple of prayers. You might be familiar with these prayers. These are prayers from the movies and actually they're both about music as well. So here's the first one. Lord, make me a great composer. Let me celebrate your glory through music and be celebrated myself. Make me famous throughout the world, dear God. Make me immortal. After I die, let people speak my name forever with love for what I wrote. In return, I vow that I will give you my chastity, my industry, my deepest humility every hour of my life. And I will help my fellow man all I can. I don't know if you recognize it. It's a bit old now, but it's the prayer of the character Salieri in the uh, in the movie and the play Amadeus uh, about Mozart and Mozart's rival praying to God and asking for his help. Or what about this one? You might know this one. God of rock, we thank you for this chance to kick ass. We are your humble servants. Please give us the power to blow people's minds with our high, with our high voltage rock. Uh, this is... Dewey Finn in School of Rock, uh, leading the kids in prayer before their big gig. Well, it does raise the question, what should we pray for? And also, uh, to whom should we pray? Who is the God that we are addressing in prayer? And what does Jesus teach about that? That's what we're going to think about this morning. And the passage that we heard read uh, from Matthew chapter 6 comes from Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5 to 7 of Matthew. Jesus teaching the disciples about how to live as someone who is a a person uh, who wants to honour God in their lives and wants to live a life of righteousness. And uh, as Jesus teaches, he teaches the disciples how to pray as well. And so this is his explanation to them of how his followers should pray to God. And three things basically that I want to say this morning and, and share with you from this passage. That Jesus teaches us that when we pray, we should pray to our Heavenly Father. He teaches us that we should pray for the kingdom of God. And he teaches us that we should pray for our most basic needs. So I'm just going to look at each of those in turn. To pray to our Heavenly Father, to pray for the kingdom of God, and to pray for our most basic needs. Well, first of all, Jesus teaches that we should pray to our Father in heaven. And it's worth thinking a little bit about what Jesus is saying here. We can tend to pass over this fairly quickly. We're used to it. Jesus speaking this way. If you've got any familiarity with Jesus' teaching, then you'll be familiar with the way, the way that he speaks in this way. Uh, but it's good for us to realise that this would be fairly surprising and shocking for uh, even the followers of Jesus who were Jews, the first disciples, uh, who had grown up knowing about God, and yet it would have been fairly rare for them and unusual for them to speak about God as Father, and certainly to address God as Father uh, would not have been normal. And But it's the normal thing that Jesus talks about all the time, that again and again Jesus refers to God as Father, and he frequently, he much more frequently uh, talks about the Father than he talks about God um, in general, or God in the abstract. Uh, just let me give you some examples from the Sermon on the Mount itself. Uh, He says, Jesus says, In the same way, let your your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Later on, he says, But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He says, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. 
little bit later after the prayer, he says, Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. He says, For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. And so on and so forth. This is Jesus' way in the Sermon on the Mount of teaching the disciples how to relate to God. And when Jesus himself prays in the Gospels, he always addresses God as Father. Uh, There's only one exception to that, and that's when Jesus on the cross quotes from Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But on every other occasion, he calls God Father. Father, my Father, Holy Father, Righteous Father. Those are the ways that Jesus addresses God. And now, here we see Jesus teaching his followers to do the same thing. To address God and know God as Heavenly Father. What's going on here? Well, I think what Jesus is doing is, is by teaching in this way, he's inviting us into the same kind of relationship with God that he himself has. That Jesus, as the unique Son of God, the Father, invites his followers also to know God as a Heavenly Father and trust God as a Heavenly Father. And in fact, to regard ourselves as God's children his sons and daughters. At the very heart of the Christian faith is a relationship with God where he is our father and we are his sons and daughters, his children. There's nothing actually more profound we can say about what it is to know God or more more profound we can say about what it is to be a person in relationship with God than we are children of God. We are sons and daughters because of Jesus. So Jesus graciously invites us into that same relationship with God as our Heavenly Father. Now we have this privilege of being able to address God as Father. And so the first challenge here really is to use the privilege that we have, to take up the privilege that we have, to regard ourselves as God's children and to humbly rely on Him and come to Him and pray to Him as our Heavenly Father. And really, in some ways, there's no more important thing to be said about prayer, about Christian prayer, than that. That that's what Christian prayer is about. It's about a relationship with God as a Heavenly Father. And uh, as we think about this, to cultivate a spirituality, if you like, a way of thinking about our relationship with God, which is all about that. What kind of relationship with God does it mean to have, uh, to trust God, to rely on God, to come to God as a child? So we're to pray to God as our Heavenly Father and Jesus teaches us that we're to pray for the Kingdom. If that's the who of prayer, to pray to the Father, then what should we pray about? Well, first of all, we should pray about God's Kingdom. This is the the first set of petitions in the Lord's Prayer here. He says, uh, we should pray, Hallowed be your name, your Kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I think these three prayers are actually asking the same basic thing, that the kingdom is the central idea here, and that those other petitions, that God's name be hallowed, uh, that his will be done on earth as in heaven, serve to kind of flesh out or explain uh, what that central uh, prayer for the kingdom is all about. So what's Jesus talking about here? Well, you may know that in his teaching, Jesus was constantly talking about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And the idea here is that the world as it is now is not the way that it's meant to be. The world is not how it was made to be. The world is not how God wants it to be. And the world is not how God promises that it will be. That God is actually committed to fixing this world, changing this world, 
bringing his rule or his reign into this world. So God's kingdom is not a place that you could go to, but rather a situation where God rules. And at the moment in our world, God does not rule in the sense that his rule is disputed in all kinds of ways by people, that we do not live under God's rule, we do not accept God's rule, um, that God is ignored uh, or rejected in the world, and that the world is under spiritual influence of spiritual evil. And so God is promising to bring his rule or reign into the world, to bless the world by bringing his kingdom. This was something that the prophets in the Old Testament spoke about. They promised that God was going to act decisively in human history to bring his kingdom. And then Jesus, when he comes, announces that God's kingdom has arrived and uh, actually inaugurates, begins God's kingdom by his preaching and by his healing and by his casting out demons and by raising the dead and so on. Jesus brings God's rule and God's kingdom into this world. The kingdom has already begun and is already in the world and is already growing in the world. And you remember the picture that Jesus used of this was that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, a little tiny seed planted in the ground that eventually grows to be a giant shrub, a huge tree where the birds of the air can come and make their nests. God's kingdom is already present in the world wherever people put their trust in Jesus and come under the rule of God. Wherever the, God, the blessing of knowing God and living for God is known in people's lives, that's the kingdom. So the kingdom has already started and the kingdom is here and the kingdom is growing in the world. But the promise is that eventually the kingdom will fill the whole world, that God's reign will be completed. When Jesus returns, the kingdom will come in all its fullness. So what are we praying for here? If we pray in this way, we're praying for that end of the world, that completion of God's kingdom in the world, that God's kingdom would continue to grow in the world now and would be brought to its ultimate completion when Jesus returns. And that's why those other, I think those other uh, things that Jesus tells us to ask are associated with the kingdom. When we pray that God's name would be hallowed, we're praying that the name of the Father would be holy in the world. That is that the people of this world would regard God the Father as holy and treat him as holy. That is the situation when the kingdom comes, when everyone knows um, and worships the Father. Similarly, uh, after, after saying your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's a definition of the kingdom, if you like, when God's will is done across the whole world, just as it is in God's presence now. So in praying this prayer, we're praying that things as they are would end. We're praying that God's God would overturn the present order of things and bring his kingdom into the world. That sin and death would be defeated, that evil would end, that everything would be put right, that there would be justice and righteousness in the world, that the poor would be fed, that the mourning would be comforted, that the hungry would be satisfied, that people would see and know God, that everyone would understand that God is our Heavenly Father. So it's a revolutionary and big prayer. It's really praying for the complete change in the situation of the world now in accord with God's promises. So this prayer starts with really big requests, really huge requests, the end of things as they currently are, the completion of God's promises. And then in the second part, starts to talk about the most basic things that we need in our lives. First of all, Jesus tells us that we should pray for our daily bread, our most basic requirements, the things that we need to survive and live today. Bread 
is the most basic kind of food. It's a way of talking about asking God for the most basic things that we need. And we can talk about you know, some kind of hierarchy of needs that we have in our life and at the very bottom, you know, food and shelter and clothing and so on. That Jesus is encouraging us to pray for those most basic things. And this is, I think, a challenge for us if we're fairly prosperous people, as so many of us are living in Melbourne today, where we don't really think, oh, it it doesn't even seem possible that we might not eat tomorrow, that we might not have the things that we need, because after all, we're able to provide for ourselves. So actually, I think it's good for us to pray in this way, to be reminded that we're still dependent on God and that there's no necessary reason why things should continue as they are and that we want to keep relying on God and asking for the most basic things that we need. As we do this, we cultivate that relationship of being children of a Heavenly Father. So especially those of you who are parents will know this, that that so much of the ways that children relate to parents is in terms of expressing their needs. And small children in particular are constantly coming to parents with their needs. And if you're a parent, you know, sometimes this can be annoying... But actually, in your better moments, uh, it's a joy. It's a joyful part of the relationship to be able to provide for your children. And uh, Jesus actually says that God is even more like that than parents are at their best. That he loves to provide for us and give us the things that we need. Uh, and that, he, uh, that there is joy in that from God's point of view and from our point of view. So it's, uh, the funny thing is, you know, with small children... We don't say, you know, they say, oh, can I have some crackers? And you say, oh, this is so annoying. I wish we could get this stuff out of the way so we could get on with the real business of relating together, you and I. As if there was something, you know, it, it, there was something else that was actually the relationship. The relationship is one of dependency, and, and actually that is a joy for both people involved. And so it is with us and our Heavenly Father. We come to him and ask for his provision, and he provides for us. The second thing that Jesus teaches us there in the basic needs is forgiveness. He says we should pray, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. There are lots of different pictures of sin in the Bible, ways of thinking about it, metaphors for it. For example, in Augustine's prayer there, uh, sin is understood to be a stain, something that needs to be cleansed. It's a stain on our lives, needs to be washed away. But here in, uh, in Jesus' prayer... Sin is understood to be a debt that we owe to God. That when we do what's wrong, when we rebel against God, it actually puts us in God's debt. We owe God, but we can't pay it back. We owe a debt that we can't repay, and so we have to come to God and ask for him to cover the debt for us, to forgive it, to absorb the cost in himself, which is, of course, what God does in sending Jesus to die on the cross. God is paying the price. God is absorbing the debt that we owe him. So we come to him and we pray that our debts be forgiven. It's really interesting that Jesus ties the forgiveness of our debts to God with our forgiveness of one another. That if we're going to be people who seek forgiveness from God, then we must also commit to being people who forgive each other. This is going to be really important in a community of God's people. That is, we are going to do the wrong thing to each other sometimes. We're going to let each other down sometimes. And that can either cause the community to kind of break apart or be a community where there's anger and resentment, or we can forgive each other, just as God has forgiven us. So we pray for our daily bread. We pray for the basic need of forgiveness, that we continue in a good relationship with God. And we pray for deliverance 
uh, from spiritual evil and protection from it. So he says we should pray and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Probably a better translation here, and it's an alternate translation that you might have heard before, is save us from the time of trial. The word temptation is also the same word as the word testing or trial. And probably that's what's meant here because we're told in the Bible that God tempts no one, in the letter of James. Uh, so it's not God's business to tempt people, but rather uh, to, to help us during our time of testing. And we're warned in the New Testament that following Jesus is going to be a testing thing. It's going to be a difficult thing. It's going to be a trial. It's going to be uh, bring with it a struggle. And so we need actually God's help to help us through that time of trial. To enter God's kingdom, we, can't, we can only do that uh, through many struggles. Paul warns uh, people in the book of Acts. And so we need, to, we need God's help to, to um, come through that time of testing or trial. And he says, deliver us from evil or deliver us from the evil one. That is, there are forces of evil in the world which want to bring us down, which want to stop us following God, which want us to give up our faith in following Jesus. And so we pray to God and ask for spiritual protection from that, that we need God's help if we're going to keep standing. So those are the, those are the basic prayers that Jesus teaches us. And let me just reflect a little bit on those overall and think about them. First of all, I think that what we see here in terms of learning to pray is that when we talk about prayer as a Christian activity, we're not talking about something which is essentially uh, about religion or about a ritual, something that you do uh, in order to kind of fulfill the expectations that God has of you or something like that, but rather an expression of a real relationship with God. That the prayer that Jesus teaches is about a relationship where we know and trust and uh, love God, our Heavenly Father. That Jesus brings us to know our Heavenly Father and have a relationship with him. But the relationship has a particular character, that is that we are relying on God. We express our reliance on God in the biggest things, uh, the coming of his kingdom, and in the littlest things as well, receiving our daily bread. That being a Christian as Jesus teaches us, is about that most basic relationship of relying on God and trusting him uh, that he will take care of us, he will provide for us, and that he will rescue us so that we can be part of his kingdom. So Jesus teaches a relationship with God as Heavenly Father, and he teaches prayers that are both audacious and humble, both audacious and humble. And I think the thing is reflecting on the way that I normally pray and perhaps I, that I hear other people pray, because I do get a lot of chances to hear people pray, uh, is that our prayers are in the middle range, if you like. That is, we pray for things that are not at the most basic level and not at the highest level, but in the middle. So we're praying for things like um, getting a job or a difficulty in a relationship that I have. or And all kinds of things like that. And look, these are good things to pray for, and it's important that we bring it all to God in prayer. So I'm not saying there's a problem with that, but that our prayers tend to be in that middle sort of range of things. Not at the most basic level of, you know, God, please protect me, please feed, please feed me, please forgive my sins. Or at the highest level, 
praying, God, would your kingdom please come into this world? That we're tending to pray in the middle. And so we need prayers that are more humble, I think, relying on God for the most basic things, and more audacious, asking God to bring this world as it is now to an end, to bring his justice and righteousness into the world um, so that the world can know him. Uh, So Jesus teaches us prayers that are more audacious and humble, bigger and smaller than I think we tend to normally pray. Well, as we get to know this prayer, uh, how can we use it? How can we use it? Well, first of all, I think the the thing to do is to learn the prayer. And one of the reasons why, actually, on Sundays, we sometimes just repeat the prayer word for word is that we get to learn it. And I don't know if you know it or not. Uh, Some of you have grown up in churches where you said this every week and you've got to know it pretty well. Uh, Others of you may be not familiar with it at all. And so it's good to learn it. Uh, And if you have children, to help your children also to learn this prayer so that you've got it by heart. And what that means is you can do two things. One is that you can repeat the prayer yourself. Um, and, but the other thing is that you can learn to pray in accord with the prayer. And here is probably the thing that's most important in the long run. That is, we don't want to just use this prayer as a kind of mantra, as a kind of uh, way of you know, just repeating the same thing over and over again, which is exactly what Jesus warns us against earlier in the Sermon on the Mount. But rather to use the, the matter of this prayer as a basis for the way that we pray so that we actually sometimes not just repeat the prayer but take the time to use the prayer to um, inform our prayers in greater detail so that when we say uh, we can just say to God please forgive me for my sins please forgive me for my debts but we could actually take a bit more time at that point and confess to God in detail the sins that we need to confess or when it comes to praying for God's kingdom to come into the world to, to talk to God in detail about the things that we long to see changed. And that might be an expression of our, the way that we feel about our local community. What would it look like for God's kingdom to grow here um, in the Mary Creek area, for example? So we need to learn the prayer, and, but then we also want to use the prayer to guide our prayers more generally. And we, we should do that on a Sunday as we gather together, but also... Uh, as we pray on our own, that in our personal prayers, we use the prayer to guide our own prayers. Actually, of course, there are lots of prayers in the Bible, and the Bible gives us words to praise God and to thank God and to lament about the world and to intercede for other people. Paul's prayers in the New Testament provide us with lots of great ways to pray for others. So this is not the final word on prayer, but it's the most basic word, I think, about Christian prayer. And if we can understand this and put it into practice in our lives, then we're actually able to uh, pray in accord with the kind of God that Jesus reveals to us. Uh, The prayer that you've got printed there, by the way, is not exactly what's in Matthew chapter 6. You might have noticed that there are words at the end there which uh, are not part of the prayer that Jesus taught. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. And these words came to be added to the Lord's Prayer very early on in the church's life as a suitable kind of conclusion to the prayer. Uh, Perhaps they thought that deliver us from evil was not a grand enough ending for it. But these words come from uh, probably the book of Daniel and they're similar to other words in the prophets as well. That is picking up on the idea that what the prophets promised is now coming true through Jesus Christ. 
And so we pray for God's kingdom. Uh, We acknowledge that ultimately the power and the glory belong to God. Amen.